Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined as always by TFT Procaster Brian Gottlieb. Please promise that you will not leave this cast for your new professional casting gig. I'm not going anywhere. Don't worry. That's that should not be your concern. I do love TFT quite a bit, and uh, I, I did do some TFT casting, but I am still a magic content creator through and through. I, I don't plan on abandoning all of you fine folks in this community. Don't worry. You don't have to hunt me down. You don't have to tie me up and keep me here. I'm not going anywhere. You you started in kind of slow, and I thought you were going to say something along the lines of "can't make any promises." And I'm just going to be like, <laughs> "God damn it!" Well, actually, I'm uh, leaving after the show, last show ever. Yeah, yeah. No, you 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 did a good job from what I saw. I don't understand TFT, so I did not stick around for the entirety of the stream. But if people are interested in that game, uh, I think it's it's safe to say that they could probably hit you up and you know maybe watch your your cast and get a, a feel for things uh do you have anything else lined up after this or are you still fishing around or no just kind of a, a one-off thing but I, i'm definitely interested in in doing more with the space i would certainly work with giant slayer again they were a blast to work with so we'll just have to see how it develops there's just this thing where like you know i've been playing the game a bunch and starting to do pretty well climbing up their ladder and i tweeted out that i had hit this threshold on the ladder and i was just like hey also if uh, anyone needs a commentator I, I happen to do that and obviously the magic gigs aren't exactly flowing right now like don't get me wrong i would love to be traveling to scgs and commentating them every weekend but uh yeah we know our current situation so uh, i was fortunate enough that people saw that tweet and passed it to more people and the chain started rolling and it ended up with a, a little gig and uh i hope i get to do it again because it, it was a lot of fun and tft is a really dope game I, I i honestly think you would like it you're so resistant to the the auto chess type games but it, it I, seems to have a lot of things that you would enjoy i tried them man i had i had like a couple on my phone and i tried to play them and it's it's too much. It's just like this deluge of information that you need to know. And it feels like you kind of have to keep up with it, too. And it's just like, I, I don't know that I can commit that amount of stuff right now. No, I, I understand. We all have to like have our primary game. And it, it's really hard to have two primary games, uh, which is kind of the situation I find myself in with TM, TFT and Magic. But also... I have a lot more free time than the average person, so I'm able to leverage that into staying up on both these games. But I know the capacity is there. Like I've been teaching uh, my brother and cousin the game, and we play uh, not every night, but most nights uh, for an hour or two. And they've both made you know pretty big strides. My brother's on the cusp of diamond, and I'm sure my cousin will get there soon. So that's like you know top five percent player, and that's only after a month or so of learning. So I, I certainly think you have the capacity for it, but I get the sentiment that who has that much free time to devote to yet another game when basically our lives are an obsession about this already existing game, and that's the reason we're here today. So yeah, I I think I have the time. I just don't know that I have the mental capacity to try and learn a new thing. Uh, I, I will say that like. You say that you have a bunch of free time, but also it's like if you're spending time playing Magic and playing TFT and these are transitioning into like paying gigs, then, I mean, it's not really your free time. You know, it is just your job at that point. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I'm, I always consider myself very fortunate that even in times where like Magic's not very good, which we've certainly endured for a lot of the, the past year or so, uh, there's still something I love about Magic and 
for the most part, at all times, I would be doing it anyway, even if it wasn't my job. So I'm very lucky that it never feels that way. And it, But it does create this weird scenario where it's like, when am I working? When am I not working? Am I lazy or am I very devoted to what I do? It, it's, it's hard <laughs> to say. Given your success, I would say devoted. Uh, also, very cool that you actually took a shot as far as tweeting out about, you know, willing to do commentary gigs or whatever. And then that actually transitioned into something. So right. it, it's always nice when that happens, you know, because there are a lot of people out there who are like, Hey, I'd be interested in in doing this thing and I'm qualified and I'm good at it, blah, blah, blah. And it just never materializes. But no, I mean, there's no question as far as that goes, I am tremendously lucky and blessed. I just get offered a bunch of opportunities. I'm very thankful for them. You know, the fact that we're sitting here is an opportunity that was offered to me out of the blue. So I, I don't know what I did right, but for some reason, things keep breaking my way. And uh, I'm very happy that is the case. But also, and I think you and I have this problem in common. It's really hard for us both to ask for help and to ask for opportunities. Like We're not really comfortable doing that. And I know a lot of people feel the exact same way, but especially in like this era of magic transitioning to a quasi esport, I have to tell you everything I've gotten to do, like be it go on a big run in fandom legends tournaments or uh, opportunities to cast with other organizations or even, even just like the star city stuff. Like that's just born out of me saying, Hey, I would be interested in doing this sometime. It's all come from expressing Yes, I am interested in this. And it's hard for me to say that and put myself out there because then you face rejection if people don't respond to you. But I am getting better at just sending these shots out there. And if they die, they die. And if I find success, then that's what I'll remember. In the moment, I might remember the failed shot, but that passes over time. Yeah, that's fair. In my mind, at least this is what my brain tells me, is that if people wanted me to do things with them or for them, they would ask me, right. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to you know, basically be like pounding on someone's door, begging them for an opportunity to do something and then just being like, okay, fine, I guess, even though they don't really want to, you know, it's like that doesn't make me very eager to show up for work. Right. Yeah. I I understand. I understand your mind doing that, but your mind also will trick you in a lot of ways and, and take you away from things you should be doing. I mean, you can just look back to the cast we did with Emma a few weeks ago before she left for Wizards. Like she really wanted to come on the cast. We really wanted to have her. But for whatever reason, we never really got our paths aligned because we were both sides in the position being like, well, I don't want to intrude on this person. I don't want to ask them to do it. And I think that situation is way more common than you would believe. Just two sides who really want to work with each other who are always like, eh, if this person wanted to do it, they would ask me. And if this person wanted to do it, they would ask me. And then both people sit there and do nothing. Yeah, logically, that makes sense. I know. My, I, I know. I'm fighting against a stubborn brain right now. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I do the same thing with myself. I'm not faulting you at all. Yeah, but my, my brain is all about self-sabotage. So, Yep, I feel you. Anyway, uh, in, in the realm of magic-related things, it's been a while since we checked on Modern. Have you looked at that format recently? I have. Uh, it's broken. It's, it's destroyed. Okay, cool. That, that's all I have to say. There's, there's, it's not worth spending any more time on it. Good, good, good cast. Good show. Yep. Pack it in. I, I wrote about Modern this week, and there's a, there's a lot of reasons. Basically because of the spectacle of everything, where it is completely busted, and also because the, the decks that are popping up now are giving me serious, like, Dark Depths combo control vibes, and I was like, sure. oh, this deck this deck is busted. I don't want to go through Magic's history not having played this deck. So 
Tuesday, like I normally turn in my article Wednesday night, Thursday morning, you know, sometime in the AM. And I'll spend like a lot of time on Wednesday doing my articles usually. And this time I was like, well, this is going to require me to do a a bunch of research, uh, a bunch of just like, you know, searching for potential cars and stuff, looking at builds, uh, concocting my own list, figuring out how to get these cards because they're all super expensive on Magic Online. So uh, obviously used uh, Card Hoarder to, you know, with their loan accounts and everything to secure those cards. But like my my account is capped at a thousand. So I just, I couldn't borrow the entire deck. Right. Uh, That's a wild spot to be because, you know, Card Hoarder, very generous with us, uh, extends sponsorship to us and, and lets us use those accounts. And uh, a thousand is basically as large of an account as you could possibly put together, and never well, had mostly. Issue. No, no, definitely not. Not before this moment. Mostly Valky carrying a lot of that price, if I understand correctly. Yeah, I mean that was a hundred. Fairy Time Revelers were like forty euros. Were still up there. Yeah, Brazen Borrowers were like twenty five because those jumped since they'd been seen playing Modern. So yeah, I finally built this deck. Played it in some leagues. Deck is absurd. I'm like writing this article, super happy about it. I, I felt like, you know, something's going to happen, but like they've they've been a little bit slow to make changes to things. Historic, you know, is I, I guess like had some issues. Standard had Omnath for a, a way that was maybe a, a bit too long. And then like Pioneer's got a bunch of issues. Modern obviously has a bunch of issues. I was like, you know, what, what are they going to do? Like ban, ban some of these cards, maybe fix the Cascade rule, whatever. It'll still probably take them like a month or two. And then while I'm 75% of the way done with this massive undertaking of an article. Oh, Lord. There's a secret lair announcement. Which, <laughs> right, nothing to worry about. How could which, that possibly influence your work? Which, who cares, right? I just, you know, like scrolling on Twitter, who cares? Doesn't matter. Nick Prince texts me and is just like, how do you just like stealthily put an Uro ban in a secret lair announcement? I'm like, wait, what? What are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. Yes, it does not make sense. As as broken as the format is, this is this is a strange way to do it. I mean, I, I don't care. Like, I, I really don't care. It's fine. It doesn't matter. It's it's just so weird. Everything is so weird right now about magic in general. And you think about how these things have historically been done, and now they're like adapting to a product they're going to sell, which like. Honestly, kudos. You could have just taken the money and waited for the bands and done them afterwards. And I, I like that. I, I'm happy that they're being upfront about the uh, upcoming changes. But it's just strange. Everything is so strange about how the game is being managed right now. It's just another thing in a long line of things where I'm just like, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, they announced Secret Lair with Uro and some other crap, right? And at the bottom, they're like, oh, disclaimer, this Uro is going to be banned in just all of these formats at some point. And it's yeah. like, oh, it was it was literally all the formats, right? It, they said bands are I, I don't I don't have the language in front of me, but basically bands are coming in pioneer, historic, modern and legacy is not out of the question as well. Yeah. And they, they mentioned that there's going to be an announcement at some point in the future, but not everything was finalized. So cool. As far as on the up business practices, you know, you don't want to release the secret layer and whatever the MSRP is, it's not enough for the current price of Uro. So obviously, you know, people would have bought a bunch of them and then uh, just gotten hoodwinked really. So good on them for doing that. Very, very strange. 
Uh, very, very strange for me too, as a content creator to have poured like, you know, 15 hours or so into writing this article on a random Wednesday when, you know, if there was an announcement coming, I would have known, right? So it's like safe to write this and submit this. And thankfully I contacted Cedric immediately and was like, hey, here's the situation, what do? And he was like, yeah, you know, it's it's fine. We'll just put a disclaimer in the article and uh, it'll, it'll still be relevant for this weekend, you know? Yeah, so. there there are events this weekend. So I, I think that was the right decision. I'm glad all your work wasn't for, for naught, but this really does show where like, the priority lies right now, right? Like this, the decision, the announcement comes in a basically a sales announcement, not in a competitive play announcement. And I think that is just so illustrative of the way things are going at this moment. That's where they are. That's where they are for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not about the competitive environment. It's about the sales of cards. And that's, uh, that's frustrating. Very frustrating. I, I mean, it's not surprising, right? But it's just, uh, you know, kind of saying the quiet part out loud. <laughs> yeah. I, look, every every single game is made to be sold. That's always a part of it. And Magic, in some ways, is, you know, a, a inherently predatory game. <laughs> like, it's always had this gotcha mechanic at its base. It's the grandfather of gotcha mechanics in a lot of ways. So uh, there's, there's always a tension there. But I, I think you ask for a respectful fleecing. Like you want to know you're getting the play environment you desire for this investment. And some of that balance has leaned way too far in the way of sales for me to be comfortable with. It's like, I don't, I don't know if you caught this announcement, but, but like the Pokemon company announced that there's this huge fervor around Pokemon cards right now, right? Like they got very popular with influencers. Box openings are a big thing. And the price of old Pokemon cards is going nuts. Much of the same way that the price of old Magic cards is presently going nuts. Like my collection has almost doubled in value since the pandemic started, which is preposterous to me. But the Pokemon company is responding by being like, yeah, we're going to print a lot more cards to make sure people yeah. can get this stuff. They, I mean, they don't have a reserve list, to my knowledge. Maybe they do. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But as far as I know, I, there's I no... I don't believe so. I don't think yeah. so. Yeah. And but it, it is weird there because I think a lot of the cards that are generating this fervor are not necessarily powerful cards because the game has power creep so dramatically that the old stuff isn't necessarily playable. It's got a lot of nostalgic pull. So... A, a slightly different situation. Base set Charizard was not even good when base set was out. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And that is the card that is like the black Lotus of the Pokemon world. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think their version of the reserve list is like the first edition stuff. Okay. If that makes any sense where it was like, they, they made it. That was all that they were going to make the end. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I, I wish I knew more about the specifics of it, but it's just, it's just telling to me like, there, there's a collector fervor going on there. And this company says, well, time to make these dollars. Let's print these cards. And you see it happening in our world too. And I think the way they built the inherent value of these cards is by having a robust, healthy, widely loved ecosystem of competitive play, which helped to launch the casual play, which now drives so much of the sales and always felt to me like it was forming this backbone. But I am always going to say I may be writing the narrative to suit my own way of engaging with magic, and maybe I have yeah. no idea what I'm talking about. I mean, we've we've always heard the numbers, right? Where it's like magic has n amount of players. Competitive play is like ten percent 
of yep. the people who play magic or whatever. And it's like, eh, I don't know if I actually believe that. And you see whenever there's, there's a big tournament, like if, if there's going to be like a massive Grand Prix or something, and there's like this new hot deck, like obviously that drives card sales and card prices to a degree. So you're just, you have this inflated notion of your importance as a competitive player where you're like, look, you know, like this is a thing that's happening as a result of us or whatever. And it's like, no, actually, I mean, we could just disappear probably because there's there's not any paper tournaments happening and the magic economy is not collapsed. And I see several posts per day where people like, especially now, are like, look at all this stuff I ordered from call time. And, you know, people are playing with spell table and just online commander with their friends and stuff like that. So, yeah, our importance is truly insignificant i believe in the grand scheme of things it's always nice to feel completely insignificant yeah well i mean facing reality is nice too yeah i suppose drag drag me kicking and screaming into reality yeah well uh so yeah modern everything else is going to be shaken up at some point in in undetermined announcements whenever that will be so that'll be fun we'll have some more stuff to talk about uh in the meantime we can keep talking about standard and how that format's chugging along. Yeah. So my first instinct, just to wrap up real quick, my first instinct was to like spend a bunch of time addressing, well, what happens to these formats when Euro leaves? Cause I think that's a, a really big question, but the truth is all of these formats have much deeper problems than that, especially modern, like something has to be done with the Tybalt stuff. And I, assume that's going to happen. I hope that's going to happen. But even if it doesn't, I, I just think speculation on what those formats go to is way too early at this point. So I agree. We have to focus on standard. There is one more news bit, though, if we could clean up. You saw there was well, a arena oh, open announcement, right? Okay, hold on, hold on. Let's 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 circle back again to the Uro thing. I think if they were going to make an announcement just about Uro, they would have just done it. Makes sense to me. So it leads me to believe that, you know, maybe it's just in the case of Modern and Valky and Cascade and whatever, but I would believe that it's not just like, oh, Uro is getting banned in these formats. There's likely going to be some other stuff. I hope you're right, and I, I mostly agree with you. Anyway, uh, Arena Open, let's go. Yeah, so Sealed Arena Open coming up next weekend. Thoughts on that? Why? What do you mean, why? What is, what's your beef with the Sealed <laughs> Open? Well, okay, so we're we're talking about how they're they're trying to make money. Yeah. I think I think that they were doing a very good job of that by having the the vast majority of these tournaments be constructed only because if you are lapsed or are a new player, like maybe you're a Magic Online player, maybe you haven't really played digitally at all, if you want to buy into standard, it is gonna cost some dollars. Right? Okay. It's not okay. Like, it, so from from a financial perspective, it makes sense. But if the entry fee is, you know, massive or even if it's like, I don't know, 30 bucks. I don't even know what it is. Just tell me what it is. I don't know what it that, is either. That's okay, a, great. That's a thing yeah. I looked at. Say, say it's like 25 bucks, 30 bucks or whatever, and you get like three times as many players. Okay. You know, maybe maybe that's better, right? Yeah. And I, I, think, I think that's the thing is that, Again, reaching a new audience is what this is about. And sure, you're going to rope some people into like buying a standard collection to participate in the arena opens, but some people aren't going to go for that regardless. I think you can get those people, though, if they're active arena players, 
to hop on board for some sealed. And I've heard rumblings that sealed and limited on arena are very, very popular, possibly more popular than constructed. So if that is the case and you can get these people onboarded into a tournament scene, that makes a lot of sense to me. My reaction to this was not why my reaction to this was great idea. And one, I personally was excited too. I think this is going to open the door for a lot of people to compete in their first arena opens. Yeah, so my first reaction was why, because the other stuff made sense to me. And after thinking about it, I think it it does make sense, assuming that all like the numbers that I threw out kind of line up, right? Like if you're expecting to get way more people for the sealed than you would for a constructed open, then it then it makes a ton of sense. Absolutely. And then mm. I don't know if you want to necessarily like alternate or or what the deal is, but it's like you you have to have metrics on the inside that kind of guide your 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 path for organized play online as far as like when you hold tournaments like when at what point do players start lapsing after a new set comes out right it's like that's when you need to hold the tournament to keep them invested yeah and keep them going right so i i just imagine that they have all this stuff figured out and that they're probably not losing out too much in that aspect and yeah certainly if if you get people who are limited players or even people who like dabble in arena, but uh, are not going to shell out for a full constructed deck, but might be like, well, it's, it's 30 bucks for sealed or whatever it is. Then yeah, cool. If you think you're going to get a bunch of acquisitions, absolutely. My prediction is that this will prove to be a huge success. It will become a regular thing. There's something, Something great about sealed, uh, even like sealed GPs, I grew to appreciate the the randomness of like flying to wherever and opening your sealed pool was was a lot. It was a lot to to deal with, uh, but doing it from my house, I'm into this. I haven't played the last few arena opens. Definitely going to play this one. And to that effect, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold you to the fire right now. So you will be if you say no to this, you're going to be publicly on record as the reason this is not happening. We are the okay. Arena Deckless Podcast. This is a event happening on Arena. I know we basically have never discussed Limited on this show. This feels like the time, though. What do you think? You and I play a bunch of Kaldheim Sealed this week, come back next week, help our listeners get ready for the Arena Open? Oh, God. Um, <clears throat> I honestly believe that at one point in time, I was I was like one of the best sealed players in the world. I agree with you. I 100% agree with you. I remember like uh, GP Knoxville in Tennessee, you won. And I remember being impressed with your sealed decks throughout that event. Um, And I'm sure you can list off a bunch of other events where you did really well in sealed. But my impression of you has always been a very strong sealed player. So it was was Nashville. Nashville. Nashville, you're right. Sorry. I I only remember that because like the Amonkhet PT was also in Nashville. So, I remember because that's where my favorite deck box of all time is from. So. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that tournament was especially wild. Oh man, can I can I tell a story real quick? Oh, there's always time for stories here. <laughs> oh man. Okay, so this this tournament was weird in that it was nine rounds, and then the first round of day two was played on day one, and it was still with your sealed deck. Yep. Yeah, they did this a lot, actually, back in the day for these sealed GPs because they were getting so large that they just needed yeah. somewhere to manage the field. Yeah, exactly. So they would have this cut, and then everyone who made it would, would just play another round. And I played Todd Anderson in round 10, and I was sitting next to Martin Yuza, and I knew that Todd's deck was was busted. He had 
uh, Contagion Engine. I want to say maybe it wasn't Sun. I think it was Sunblast Angel, but it was like he he had like four rares or something, and he had the Angel that like regrows an artifact. Mm-hmm. And my deck, my deck was solid, but it was like kind of scrappy. And during the Swiss, I played against another person who had a very good deck, uh, Phil Napoli. And I, I sideboarded into like 15 lands, double furnace celebration because I needed like this engine card to be able to keep up with the powerful stuff that they were doing. Yep. And otherwise, like the, the card quality of my deck was heinous in the furnace celebration one. Right. But yeah, so I, I basically did the same thing against Todd, but, uh, I remember like Martin sitting next to us and like kind of discussing with his opponent whether or not they should draw because X two and one would probably top eight the GP. And he was more confident in his ability to get wins during the draft portion than the sealed portion. Sure. That tracks. So yeah. So if he drew, then he would need to five, one draft versus like if he lost, he would need to like five Oh one draft. And he thought that uh, it would be better to have like a loss to give you know, during the draft portion. So like I'm here in this conversation and, you know, I, I see Todd kind of like listening in. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, man. Like, what do you, what do you think? You know, like <laughs> this sounds great to me, right? Like your deck's busted and mine's, mine's kind of medium or whatever. <laughs> mine's got furnace celebration. Yeah. Well, no, those were in the sideboard, man. Oh, so you can't even get to the good deck yet. <laughs> you have to play no. a game with the bad deck yeah. and then get to furnace celebration. Sure. And he was, he was like, yeah, like the logic makes sense, but like my deck's busted. And then I, I furnace celebration him too. Nice. Got him. Yeah. He, he contagion engine me like three times in one of the games too. Contagion engine was a, uh, just a miserable, miserable card to play against. That, that was the house. Yeah. And the, if you go and look at my, my top eight draft profile, like I'd done a bunch of drafts in the format too. And I was really high on like 15 land blue based, I like affinity issues like metal craft. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was tough in that format because Metalcraft meant you needed three artifacts and there weren't artifact lands. So you had to like play fewer lands to get more artifacts into your deck, which was usually playing more mirrors. Yeah. And I, I played Vidalkin Surge Arc a lot, which was just like this one mana tapper if you had Metalcraft. And the card was just absurd if, if you could activate it, right? And the top eight profile had two questions. One, or I think it was just the one question. It was like, what are you hoping to open? And I said, Oxidus Scrap Melter, because they'll pass me Volition Reigns. <laughs> okay and that, that is exactly what happened wow that is and that I, is prescient uh i i got the the reigns like fifth or something volition reigns was another beating in that format to be sure yeah just like a confiscate and you know i confiscated like juice's worm coil engine or something in top four and yeah uh also that venue stands out in my mind of all the venues i've been to for magic is one of the nicer ones remember the, there's like this huge like rainforest in the middle of the right. convention center. And I remember drafting at like one in the morning in front of a waterfall in that atrium. Yeah. It's the, the Gaylord like Opry or Omni or something like that. It's just yeah, this massive I think, place. I think that's right. At the time it was the largest non-casino hotel in the world, I think. Okay. Yeah. I, I believe that. So you're like, Oh yeah, this venue is really cool. It's got like this thing in it. And I, I guarantee I have not seen every inch of that place and I've been there oh, several no chance. times, you know, no, no chance. It's, it's absolutely tremendous. But anyway, uh, I think at the height of my powers, I'm very good at sealed things like recognizing that, you know, you, you are just outmatched and like, this is how this match is going to play out. And looking at the tools in your sideboard and figuring out whether or not you can actually do anything with the card pool. It's like, 
you talked about how, you know, you'd, you'd fly across the country to open a sealed deck and it's one of the most degenerate things. Right. But, oh, absolutely. But for me, it was like, yeah, I might not have pack rat misium orders every single time or whatever, but there's enough cards and they all do enough things that you can usually find something that lines up pretty well with what, what your opponent's doing. And that was my goal every time. It wasn't like, oh yeah, I'm just going to open a busted seal deck and then get to the draft portion. And like, that's where the skill comes in. It was like, no, I have this pool of cards and I want to see what I can do with it. I, I want to be the underdog, you know, like I want to be scrapping against people. And, and that was fun for me. So this was a lot of words kind of praising it- sealed as a format. Are you now going to say no when I say, are we going to do Dude, a sealed just, episodes? We talked about how TFT was a big investment for me. And now you want me to relearn limited. Uh, I will try. I will do my best. If nothing else, I can provide limited fundamentals. I hope that those still carry over. They do. They, they, I still play a good amount of limited. The fundamentals are still there. And also, I, I'm really happy to talk limited too, because I, I certainly people who have listened to this show enough know I am more than happy to accept my failings as a magic player and kind of place myself appropriately. When it comes to limited, that is the area where I actually do believe I'm world-class. So I'm very happy to flex those muscles as well. It's been a while since I got to do a deep dive on a limited format. It would be really cool to get invested in Call Time Sealed for a week and be able to come back and give our listeners something good. Okay, what if I just listen to uh, like Sam Black and Michael Jacob content and just parrot that back to you? Does that count? I could probably do that. I wouldn't know because I purposely avoid other people's content. So I don't parrot it. So you would get by with that. I wouldn't know. I also think if you didn't actually play the games and just watch them play a lot, that would be enough for you to derive what you needed to learn. I don't think you actually have to go play 10,000 games of Call Time Sealed to really come back and deliver something good. No, I don't. So like, for for example, that Mirrodin format was a lot of trial and error and drafting like the good decks, right? And then it was just like, okay, I'm going to put Golden Urn in all my decks. This is one of my favorite cards of all time, basically because of that format. And I had a Golden Urn in the deck that I won that GP with. Mm -hmm. And it's just this one mana artifact that upkeep, you get a counter and you can sack it to gain life for the counters on it. (laughs) Got to get those Metalcraft artifacts. It was good. It was good. It was like, yeah, you get Metalcraft and then in the late game, your busted stuff takes over. And this just makes sure you don't get faltered or like burned out or anything. It was great. It's awesome. You could uh, trick it. Context is everything. Context is absolutely everything in every single limited format. So So there there are things like that where it's like, I actually need to try that to see if it works. And when, you know, if if MJ is playing a sealed match against someone and is just like, well, I'm going to sideboard like MJ is better than this. But like when if he's playing against someone, he's like, well, I'm going to sideboard in this naturalize because they have a contagion engine or whatever. And I'm just like, I want to change colors and do these weird, fancy things and like, see if it works out. Like I need to actually do that in a lot of instances. Sounds like you're talking yourself into playing a bunch of called time sealed. Can't wait, dude. I, I would, I would be so happy, like looking at the decks and building the decks. And then it, you, you play so many matches uh, assuming you have like a fundamental base, you play so many matches before you learn one of the like very format specific things uh, that you can then implement in the future. And like that was pretty good or that was what I was pretty good at, at finding were those things. It was like I would practice a lot for limited, like mm-hmm. probably probably more than for constructed because you kind of had to to know everything. Yeah. You know, no, that was that was my approach as well. 
But yeah, uh, it's a tall order. I'll do my best, but I can't promise I'm going to bring my A game. Okay. Anyway, I, sealed episode next week. Sure. I, I also don't Whatever. believe you. I, I don't think you'll you'll put out anything that you aren't satisfied with. I know you too well to that you're not going to pass off a bad product. And if you're actually I'm, doing I'm it, gonna, at some point, you're going to devote yourself to it. I'm not going to pass off a bad product, but part, part of the... The reason that I'm able to do this every week, even if it's like, oh, you know, within the last week, I didn't play this format at all. It's because I'm still paying attention and following along and I already understand how all the matchups work and I don't need to necessarily like play the games. Right. So the product week to week is still going to be pretty good and I'm still going to be knowledgeable and I'm still going to have a bunch of things to say that maybe a lot of other people don't have to say. But for limited specifically, I need to put in a lot of work and I think that I'm going to be able to provide some analysis, but I'm not, I'm not going to get you from like a nine to a 9.5 or a 9.5 to a 10 in the format. And that sucks. That, that makes me upset, but it is what it is. Okay. I'll, I'll do that last one point. Good. Great. I got you. Now standard. Standard. Now you're allowed to talk about standard. You're so excited to talk about standard. Is something, something good going on over there? No, I just wanted to (laughs) get away from all this other crap. You got it. All this nonsense. So there was a SCG 5K call time championship qualifier. Wordy title, but yes, that that is what went down. I'm sorry, SCG Tour Online 5K. SCG Tour Online 5K call time championship qualifier. Yeah, and uh, there's, there's more of these things, I guess. No, this weekend, another one this weekend. Okay, yeah. Uh, is is it standard or is it sealed? <laughs> uh, this one is standard. This one's okay. staying standard. Yeah. See, SCG, SCG knows. They know what's they up. Yeah. They want they want to sell cards, even if you can't really do anything with them right yeah, now. Yeah, they don't get a cut uh, of these cards. No, but maybe someone's like, "Wow, I got beat really bad by this deck. I'm gonna build it and goldfish it or whatever." I I hope that is happening presently. Or I still, for I still to, take out my cards once in a while. I don't do anything with them, but I look at them. I've I brought out my my cards like twice, and my cats have been very confused. And I know that that's the weird thing because they've basically never seen a magic card. Yeah, and they should be very very adapted to the magic life, and they just haven't experienced it at all. Nah, nah, they know they know all about laptops <laughs> and, and PlayStation controllers, but they've right. never seen a magic card. You know, uh, so. At some point, hopefully, their life is going to change. Uh, they're they're going to be completely blown away by all these magic cards. Anyway, man, can you imagine having like a roommate who you enjoy being around and like you both play magic and you can just sit and like test standard or like battle box against each other or something? You know, it'd be sweet. I can kind of imagine that. Well, parts of it. I I don't know. My, my wife and I do play an occasional game of magic. We don't really test or anything. It's more of like a teaching thing. But I, I do really like her, so I know what it's like to have a roommate you really like. But the, the magic thing, no, I've never really had that situation before where I just have a dedicated testing team living with me. Yeah, that's, that's wild. That would be fun. So, like, that that's a reason to get paper cards, right? Anyway. Sure, yeah. A deck that did not exist last week, basically, won this tournament. Uh, Kensuke Kato wins the tournament with Saltai, Saltai Ultimatum. Michael Majors posted about this on February 6th, and I think the genesis of this comes from Logan Nettles, but I don't know. Everything Everything's super weird. Yeah, we're having a hard time figuring out the exact moment of conception for Saltai Ultimatum, uh, but the, the two hallmarks that I can definitely lean on are Majors tweeting about a 60-card version and then Logan Nettles going 6-0 in one of the SCG satellites, 
with the version that looks extremely close to Kensuke Kato's uh, eventually winning list from this weekend. So 80 cards, Urian companion, no Urian's main deck, but there's a few things that you can get value off blinking Omen of the Sea, Elspeth's Nightmare, Finding the Old Gods. Some folks have Maze Mind Tome. Uh, Kensuke has Asika's Chariot also, but basically this deck is, you know, like Heartless Act, Cultivate, Shadow's Verdict, Sweep You Up, eventually cast Emergent Ultimatum, get some combination of Vorinclex, uh, Valky, which you can then play as Tybalt, Alrun's Epiphany, Seagate Restoration, uh, there's like a Balagad Recovery to get some of that stuff back. Kiora Best the Sea God is another one, uh, Big Shark Typhoon, so... Yeah, the, the ultimatum, you search for three monocolored cards. Your opponent chooses one to shuffle back in your deck, and you cast the other two. So you're not getting exactly what you want every single time, but usually there are cards, like in some combination of those three cards is going to be a way to beat your opponent. Yeah, it's not a I win combo, but it's an it's very difficult to lose combo is how I would phrase what you accomplish with Sultai Ultimatum. And the interesting thing about these things we're using to take over the game is that they are multifunctional like you are you're able to play your seagate restoration as your land and you are able to use your tybalt as valky early on and when you're trying to set up a deck like this that matters so so much because you should be punished for playing emergent ultimatum with a bunch of dead cards that you just draw randomly and you suffer through them you don't really feel that when you're playing this deck and we we did a show last week where we went over the Magic Online results and we we're looking at Sultai Control when we were both very down on the archetype, just not really understanding what it was trying to accomplish, saying that it wasn't really ramping aggressively enough to actually get to its end game and its control elements were kind of sloppy and just, just a deck we really weren't impressed with overall. I do not feel the same way about this version. This is aware of the constraints of the format and finding a way to condense games to a window where... You're, you're not supposed to control the game. You're supposed to take temporary control of the game and then execute this Haymaker game plan, which is defining so much of magic these days. Execute your Haymaker game plan and overwhelm anything your opponent could have possibly done up until that point. Yeah, it's it's interesting where you're just doing this kind of like disruptive ramp thing and then you turn the corner really quickly with ultimatum because it's giving you an extra card and a bunch of mana generation and you have things like Alrun's Epiphany. Uh, so this deck tends to close the door pretty quickly, which you can't really say the same for any of the decks that's like ramping into Ugin. Now, if you're talking about like Coma as your big payoff, like sure, that ends, ends games a little bit quicker, but I'd much rather be on the ultimatum side of things. No, I agree. And I, I wrote my article this week. So the, the finals ends up being a Sultai mirror, quote unquote mirror. One side is the ultimatum deck. One side is a more traditional Sultai list, although a nice version of the Sultai deck. Like we talked last week about making sure you had enough ramp and just putting Simulacrum back in the deck to go alongside the Binding of the Old Guards. Because a lot of the decks were just relying on Binding of the Old Guards to ramp to Ugin. And we both felt like that was a little bit too slow. The second place list added Llanowar Visionary, which I, I actually think is pretty smart. I like that adaptation. Uh, also some more main deck Urian. So a better job of creating a snowball. But still, you get to this finals, and the sense I have of this matchup is that it wasn't 
two forms of sultai that are going to occupy the format. It is one form of sultai stepping on the neck of the other form of sultai yeah. and eliminating it from the format. And you know, we'll have to see this weekend if that is actually what's happening here. But sultai ultimatum seems like a c- clear step forward for the archetype. And there may be ways to challenge it, you know, like things like having your payoff spells vulnerable to mystical dispute and all that stuff matters. But ultimately, you're going to have to cast an expensive spell at some point anyway. And there's always going to be vulnerabilities in that point. So I'd rather have it be seven mana and I'd rather have it just essentially lock up the game because a lot of decks are getting good at playing through multiple Ugins at this point. And that's a real weakness if that's all you have is a haymaker. So getting to this new ultimatum end game, really, really a breakthrough for the Sultai archetype. It's actually pretty annoying because the way that I was building my Boros decks was was very much just like I am gonna kind of try and grind you out. Yep. Because I'll play through your Ugin. Yeah, I'll, I'll play through your Ugin. I'll I'll have Showdown. Uh, we were talking about like Glorious Protector to give around Ugin, you know, stuff like that. And a lot of the other white decks are playing just jamming like four malls, and I quickly cut them because it didn't really fit into my game plan. But now I think that you kind of have to do that because. When they get to ultimatum mana, you, you probably have to shuffle in their time walk, right? So then they get like a Valky and a Vorinclex or like uh, Vorinclex and uh, Cure Best of Sea Gods or something. And now you're just under pressure, right? And you don't have good ways to actually come back from that. So now you're you're very much in the, the seat of like, I have to race you. Like, I just have to beat you down, which just kind of like slams headfirst into their Shadows Verdict, which is... Also, just like a, a very good card against you because it, it cleans up Season Hallowblade. It doesn't care about like the odd even split. It kind of gets around everything. Uh, I will say that Redain is definitely, definitely awesome against this yes. deck. Yes. Right? And people have had that in their decks, but it's been like, oh, I'll play like two in my sideboard. And I've usually Not been anymore. like, yeah, I've usually had like two main, like another one or two in the sideboard. I think that has to change now too. But yeah, this... This deck existing fundamentally changes how everyone has to approach the format because, yeah, the, the Sultai deck that got second, like, you both get to seven mana, and they're just, like, you know, two explosive threats eventually, like, maybe cast a time walk, right? And you're like, well, I'm playing a Palupranos, and I'm playing an Ugin, and it's just, it's so slow. Your opponent's just doing, you know, double the mana's worth of what you're doing, and you just can't be in that position. Smaller mid-range deck. And that's where a lot of these decks found themselves by the end of this tournament. Like, so much of the deck building in this top eight was really good. Like, you see Robert Vaughn's fourth place Joan Sacrifice deck. I like a lot of what's going on there. The fifth place Rakdos mid-range deck is super interesting. It's back to Lurus as the companion and leaning harder on Magmatic Channeler and go, even going back to Arcfiend's Vessel. So finding a way to, like, make some clock. And I, I thought all of this was really smart really cool decks, but you get to the point where you're playing against Sultai Ultimatum and none of this works anymore. It just completely folds. So like you said, the rules of engagement have to change for the format, but this tournament was super interesting because if you go down through the standings, you can start to see how some people are already well positioned to do that. Like there are just good adaptations to what's happening already going on. And you know, I was kind of worried thinking about this in pre-show today because I feel like we did this last time with the Sultai Ramp deck where we're like, oh, well, here's how you attack it. And then it just proves to be like, no, Sultai is indefensible. But that was also a deck that had Uro. And that right. really changes things. Like this, this is not the same scenario. There are far more vulnerable spells here. And 
counter magic is very real against this deck. They they do struggle with trying to resolve into big spells. So it's not even like you have to go searching for a new deck. You can just pick up rogues. And a lot of what is happening right now, rogues is really primed to beat on. Now in this tournament, before any adaptation, I think rogues got kind of stomped and it got stomped by Rakdos. But like I said, how are you playing Rakdos in a world where someone can just cast an emergent ultimatum and completely blow you up? Yeah, especially the slower versions, right? We're like, I'm just going to grind you out and eventually Croxa you. And yeah, Ultimatum just beats you straight up and you don't have anything specific to deal with it if you have any sort of like discardists in your sideboard, you know. Rogues, I think, could be a good choice, but you're going to need additional counter magic. Because like Drown in the Lock will usually cut it, but then it's like, you know, maybe you have one counter spell for Ultimatum type stuff. In addition to that, and that's just not enough. So you might see like a negate sneak into the main deck or another copy of Didn't Say Please or something along those lines. And I'd, I'd definitely be down with that. Mm-hmm. No, that tracks. I, I think that's a good approach. Anything else you want to say about those existing decks? Because I have a few decks from this tournament that I'd really like to highlight as ways forward. Like I said, I, well, I think some people were already doing the work before we even got to the point where this Sultai deck was a problem. Uh, Elspeth's Nightmare is very good against counterspells, especially against the decks that have targets for it. Yeah. Uh, so like, you know, Rogue specifically, uh, if they resolve a Nightmare, kill your crab, clear out your counterspell, you know, then it's game time, you know? So they do have some amount of counterplay and basically all the Saltite decks at this point are sideboarding some comas, which like technically gets around counterspells, but also with the game plan that you're doing where... I mean, maybe against rogues, you would side out Vorinclex or whatever, but I don't think it would be that weird for rogues to keep in some copies of Heartless Act. Uh, and then that tags Coma and makes your ultimatums maybe like a little bit worse, right? Yeah, for sure. I, th- I think there's there's fine answers for Coma out there if you're required to find them. And I think you mostly are at this point. Like, I, I don't want to be cold to that card, especially if you're looking at doing like some kind of tempo-based approach. Is it tempo, uh, mono blue, which I want to talk about a little bit later. If you're doing that type of stuff, you should answer coma, but you have options available. It, it's it's not a unsolvable problem. Yeah. And the last thing is I, I played a bunch of games with the 80-card version, and uh, not, not, not a bunch. I don't want to make it seem like I played 100 games or whatever, but I didn't cast ultimatum a single time. Were you still winning? Yeah, yeah, very yeah. easily. Yeah, uh, that, that's of- what's interesting about it is that you're you're actually not reliant on ultimatum. Now you are still reliant on expensive spells. I'm yes. not trying to say that's yes. not a real issue, um, yeah, but it doesn't was, have to be ultimatum specifically. I was I was beating people with just cast Vorinclex and then cast All Runs Epiphany or cast Shadows Verdict and then Urian Blink My Omen of the Sea and Binding and just grinding out people that way and a hard casting Seagate Restoration just because like I wasn't I wasn't drawing the ultimatums like it was it's an eighty card deck you know it's like you're not guaranteed to get there by any means there's a lot of interesting things about the deck that i want to try because right now like the vast majority of people are are backpacking off of logan's list right so you see a lot of carbon copy stuff one thing that became apparent that was very awkward was like uh vornclex plus maze mind tome is not really a combo okay yeah that's so yeah so you know there's there's stuff like that where it's like oh yeah maybe the deck is not supposed to be built this way uh, but I'm definitely interested in trying 60-card versions. Like, the Urian was fine. Omen of the Sea is kind of whatever, but I wouldn't mind just having a more consistent deck and seeing where that got me. Yeah, I think no matter what, that that deck can also evolve quite a bit. 
Can you can you do me a favor? Huh. Can, can you say the name of that big green card one more time? Vorinclex. Just but say it fast. Just say it like you just said it before. Vorinclex. Okay. Listen. I I now accept the fact that this card is called Vorinclex. In fact, I think I've said it in the show and called it Vorinclex. But you, you just did the NI thing, not the IN thing. Yeah, but look. First of all, I'm not the only one with this problem. I want to point no, out no, many, I, many people. I know, I know, dude. That's I'm. So I I correct pronunciation a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, partly because I'm insufferable, and partly because I think that it, it benefits the readers for us to you know try and pronounce things correctly. Right. I agree with you, and right. I, I'm happy to once I eval- <laughs> listen, once I listeners. realize I'm wrong, I'll get onto the same page as everyone else, and I, I'm going right. to try and work Vorinclex into my vocabulary. But I swear to you, when I heard you saying this card, I never once heard it that way. I was just hearing you say Vorniclex back to me in my head. Like my brain was self-correcting to keep my reality intact that that is actually the name of the card. And it does make sense for that to be the name, right? Like that's like a devouring type name. Vorniclex is something that is a huge beast that eats the world I think there's like some kind of etymolic reasoning going on behind my mispronunciation. But yeah, I've I've had this one wrong the entire time. I'm sorry, everyone who has had to listen to me say Vorniclex over and over. I will try and say Vorniclex from now on. It, so like I said, I, I I tend to correct people and it's it's kind of awkward to break up the flow and, and whatever. Uh, this one I kind of let slide because I, I didn't want to be insufferable and I was just like, whatever, it's not a big deal, you know? And then it, it just like turned into a, to a thing. <laughs> so I don't know, man, like I, whenever, whenever I correct you or if, if you correct me, it's like, I, I don't take it personally. It's just like, Oh, Neither do you I. know, Neither you do know I. we should, we should just try to keep things correct. Right. That yeah. Makes, that makes sense. I, this one is so interesting because I, I don't like, there's a lot of things I have a hard time pronouncing and I'll like warp the pronunciation to just, I don't know, comport with the way I think they should be said. And I've, I've learned to accept that. And that's probably like difficult to correct because that's so ingrained in me that it's not something I'm ever consciously doing. It's just how I speak at this point. But this one is not that. This is just me misreading the card 10,000 times to the point where I was about to complain about the arena deck builder because I just couldn't get it to find my Vorinclexes. And I'm like, why is this happening to me? What is wrong with this stupid card? And I'm telling you, I had this tweet typed up and I'm like, I better double check this. And I finally looked at the card and realized I had the spelling of the card wrong as well as the pronunciation, obviously. That is that is awesome. I didn't know. So I didn't correct you. And I, th- I was going to tell you after the cast. And then I just forgot, you know, right, we started, right. we get we started talking BSing. about something else. Yeah. We started BSing and then we just left and I was like, oh yeah, whatever. Well, I'm sure it won't happen again. And then <laughs> like it happened again. Uh, and then you made that tweet and I was like, oh, someone must have told him. So it is no, funny nobody, to me. Nobody that, told me. Nope. It is funny to me that that is how you found out. But yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been a real struggle building a lot of decks on Arena this season. I, I literally just have to scroll through all the green cards until I find it and then add it to my deck. That's how, that's how I've been doing it to this point. That's brutal. But now you have the cheat code. I do. I, I've unlocked the cheat code. Um, I, I totally forget what broader points I wanted to make beyond that. Now, I'm sure there was other stuff I wanted to talk about. Oh, I wanted to talk about uh, other decks from the top tier here. Eighth place deck from Noriyuki Mori, Teamer Adventures. It, it looks just like Gruel Beatdown. I think it's still doing all that beatdowny stuff really well. 
And I don't know if this was a active decision to challenge large spell decks or just looking for some ways to protect Goldspan Dragon, but it's basically like Gruel Beatdown with a miscast, a Genesis Ultimatum, an Alrin's Epiphany, which I, I just love this card. I think it does such important things in this format, which is being defined by these large spells. Uh, and then there's two Mystical Disputes, two Saw It coming. So this has the traditional Gruel Clock. It's got the Great Henge to play those long games. And then a bunch of this counter magic built in. And I thought that was a really interesting approach. A lot of people doing showdown of the skulls. But like you said, you can't grind them out anymore. So you have to challenge them on the stack. And here's a deck with a really real plan of doing so. And one that's still closing down the game window and not letting them just go long. Yeah, I like this deck a lot. This looks pretty good. I feel like it could really use something to generate maybe like some mana advantage like i i feel like this would be an okay lotus cobra deck for example okay yeah even though that card is like kind of weak but i don't know i just i feel like if you fall behind you're you're just dead right like the the mana is kind of awkward the deck's playing 27 lands because you kind of have to and kazandu mammoth but other than that it's like if, if this deck gets out ahead there's no coming back, right? Because you have Goldspan right. Dragon, then generating mana, you have all the counter spells for disruption. And then I love the choice for the the one Allrun's Epiphany, although maybe that should be more copies of that card. I yeah, don't know. I, I think I don't like Genesis Ultimatum that much, and I would just play a second Allrun's Epiphany as as far as large cards go. Yeah, and I was gonna say the other the, the other one of is a Genesis Ultimatum where it's like at the top end you have these things that are just game breakers, right? Oh yeah, and the deck has three spike field hazards too. There's so many lands in this deck. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I thought this was a really cool piece of deck building. And like I said, prescient in a lot of ways. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that word right, by the way, but kind of predicted this explosion in large spell decks. And I'm not sure that's really what the intent was. I think it just wanted to challenge some of the more played decks, things like Is It Tempo, uh, and just have a really good proactive way of protecting its gold span dragons. So I definitely advise people to take another look at this list. This kind of got lost in the shuffle, but something interesting going on here. Well, if that's the case, if, if the premise is, oh, well, maybe they just wanted counterspells to go with their gold span, why is Mystical Dispute the choice? That's a very specific okay. like, targeted card, right? Yeah, Where yeah. It, it makes me think that Mori was aware of Sultai. Uh, that's a really good point. It's just so... For, for the choice to be Mystical Dispute in that spot, it's got to be this version of Sultai, right? Like, it has to be specifically the Emergent ultimatum version because that's not necessarily the card you want against like the traditional yuri and stuff i guess it's still fine there it's it's a it's a good enough hedge that you can get away with it i guess so one thing i i just noticed is that this is an obosh deck so obviously no lotus cobra but uh we, we could take or leave that yeah 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 I, i'd be fine with giving up on that if you find something else worthwhile yeah I- interesting deck for sure i i definitely like teamer tempo sort of things and feel like that there is is something that you could do with it i don't know if this is like the final form or anything but the the idea of this looks very solid to me for sure i agree uh i want to talk about another tempo deck this is what i have been playing this entire week and basically in love with uh this is the 14th place list in this tournament from garrison Fote. i don't know if i'm pronouncing your last name right garrison sorry uh but essentially mono blue tempo and here's here's the kicker in this deck list and the thing I just absolutely love about it for Alaran's Epiphany. So this is a deck that recognizes you're going to have small windows as the tempo deck. You're going to have to just 
maintain traction, just stay with your head a little bit above water, not let your opponent overwhelm you, and then find a window to take back the game. And I feel like so much of Magic was this years ago. Like this is how so many decks played. You're just staying even, staying even, not getting buried, and then you can find ways to turn the corner real quick. And the classic way of doing so was something like Mistbind Click in Fairies, where you would just start the snowball and then your opponent kind of never got a turn again. You would very carefully manage the early game and close it out with usually just the slimmest of life total margins. This deck is doing that trick again. And out of nowhere, you're able to produce 20 damage, be it making a huge Ascendant Spirit or, you know, you bounce something on your opponent's end step with Brazen Borrower, flash it in, so you've got a 3-1 Flyer. And then you cast your first Alrin's Epiphany, do three damage, take your extra turn, do five more damage, you have one more Alrin's Epiphany, cast that, seven damage in the air, add that to a Faceless Haven that you had on the battlefield, and you just killed your opponent from nowhere. And on top of all that, you're just getting a ton of counter spells. And if people are trying to resolve seven amount of spells, counter spells are awesome. So the thing you're giving up is any kind of real battlefield interaction. If, if your opponents are just getting ahead of you on battlefield, you don't have removal spells. Although Bubble Snare has done the job pretty well. I like a Raven form or two to account for Coma. Uh, I think that would be a problem card for this deck. But there, like I said, there are answers out there. And playing this deck has made me feel... Like it's like 2007 again. It, it just feels like old magic. And I've really enjoyed my games with it. And I think it's quite good. Yeah, I like this deck a lot. I've been watching Autumn stream various iterations of this deck. And it, it is it has been nice, let me tell you. Uh, specifically the four All Runs Epiphany version. Because yep. without it, you're, you're trying to play this tempo game where your clock is not very fast and you kind of fold to like any disruption. You definitely cannot counter every single thing that your opponent plays so you need something like that to actually flip the script a little bit and it's it's the perfect card for doing that job can i tell you the moment where i i really felt alive again it's i am on the play i play turn one ascendant spirit uh maybe i'm on the draw here yeah i, I think your, I guess your story's full of holes man it's full of holes here's the scenario <laughs> basically i have an ascendant spirit my opponent has two open mana and i have the two snow mana and like, you know, they have the bone crusher giant and they're just waiting to pop off. So you do nothing. You just sit there. You, you don't level it up on their end step. You just keep so that wait, mana open for the rest of the game. Were you, were you on the play or the draw? So now, this, now I'm thinking neither one makes sense. It's got to be something later in the game, right? right because in because, both scenarios, I can either pump or I can defend. So it's, it's got to be a few turns later that the scenario is coming up. Yeah, if you if you're on the play, you could just do it. And then if you're on the draw, they should have bone crushered it immediately unless they immediately. saw... They saw Bryant go and they're just like, no respect. Yeah. Or they had like <laughs> a, a tapped land is the other possibility, but then I still have another window. So this has to be something that occurred later in the game. But I distinctly remember the scenario of like, I have this two snow mana and I know I'm about to get bone crusher giant and I can just punish my opponent by never doing anything. And if this deck isn't doing anything, it's winning. That's all you, you're happy to do nothing ever again, because at some point you'll just like slam a hard cast shark typhoon, cast Alrin's epiphany and win the game on the spot. Right. So the more time you build with this deck, the better things are for you. And I just had so much fun playing it. It, it felt so powerful, so unique, and so like classic magic. few tweaks from Garrison's list. I didn't love the Frost Augers. They, they miss a little bit too much. And like I said, you're generally happy doing nothing. So either you're spending all your mana every turn and like foretelling stuff and drawing cards and countering things, 
or you're just sitting there. And both of those scenarios are good for you. Frost Augur doesn't really catch you up from behind. In some grindy matchups, though, I like it, so I still kept a couple copies. Uh, I added a Singleton Cosmos Charger, just because I think it's a tough card for people to play around, and I like having that flexibility. Tweaked the counter magic a little bit, but ultimately the core of this deck was really solid, and I was really impressed with it. I don't mind Frost Augur just as a thing to be doing and as a way to get in some chip damage. And it feels like a lot of the games that you lose, you're losing with like a full hand anyway. So it's not like, oh, I want this to be like more of a defensive card. But like, I agree with you that you have enough stuff to do with your mana. You have spirit, you have Haven, you have all these card drawing spells. You do have enough card advantage. You don't necessarily need it, but it's like, I just want more cheap cards. And maybe that's not the best one, but I definitely want something to do with my mana. Yeah, so you and I talked a bit about this, and I I think if you could upgrade Frost Augur in some way, maybe with something like the Omen Keel, then it becomes real appealing. And I want to look at that. I haven't quite found the space for Cosima yet. I I don't think it plays perfectly with what you're trying to accomplish here, but the the Omen Keel is pretty good if you're going to max Frost Augurs. You just have to find the slot somewhere else. Uh, and this deck also wants to hit all of its land drops. It's a little awkward that like you always want snow lands, but right. still, you'll, you'll take what you can get in most instances because you really just want to hit your six, seven mana thresholds for your Shark Typhoon's Alan's Epiphany. So I do want to explore that, but thus far, I haven't made the shift to playing the four Frost Augers and then some Omen Kills as well. Yeah, counter spells are definitely pretty good right now. I like this game plan. I, I think that this deck obviously has a ton of holes where... You can't really interact with a lot of things. And then in post-board games, your best way of interacting is like bubble snare. And it's like, eh, that's not super exciting. So you're you're going to have a lot of problems for sure. But I think that this sort of strategy could be very good if we shift to Assault High Heavy format for sure. Agree with you. And it also just shows how much potential Alvin's Epiphany has. I, I think there's multiple ways to do stuff with that card. And we're probably still supposed to explore more of them. Yeah, I feel like green with, you know, the ramp, the mana acceleration, whatever, is a pretty good home for it. But also just some sort of base blue deck seems completely fine, too. And I also think that this deck could potentially splash. Like, you could get, you know, Frostbite in here at a fairly low cost just playing. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe you cut the Frost Augers, right? Maybe you're just like, oh, well, I don't really want that card anyway. Frostbite is also just like a thing to do early. So then you play the Blue-Red Tapland. You're a little bit happier just having that in your deck. You can have uh, Fable Passage and a few Mountains and like just some Frostbites. I wouldn't go super hard on like doing the Dragon thing or anything like that. But like you could do something very, very light and get away with it if you need to. Interesting. Uh, one other thing with Alrin's Epiphany, uh, Planeswalkers. I haven't seen any of that going on. Part of that is like the Planeswalkers aren't fantastic, but there's got to be somebody who benefits quite a bit uh, from just getting some extra turns on the battlefield. So I want to look at that as well. Yeah. So one thing that I tried after the whole Sultai thing, which didn't really have to do with anything. It wasn't like I thought that it would be a particularly good choice. It was just something that was like kind of on my mind and I wanted to get it out of my system was a, a bigger red deck, no one drops, no Ember Cleave. And it was, it was pretty nice. I don't know necessarily how it lines up. Like certainly it not having the one drops makes you worse against things like mono blue or whatever, but having Magda and Torbran both being dwarves was pretty mm-hmm. nice. Faceless Haven was, mm-hmm awesome yeah super awesome and then uh gilded cart 
was pretty tight as well. I'm so happy you said that. I've actually been playing Mono Red for the last day. That that's been my deck of choice oh, yeah? on Arena. Yeah, I know that's surprising. Uh, not necessarily a smaller list, a bigger list. I, I wish I could give credit. Someone tweeted the list. I, I think they're sitting at number one right now, or were sitting at one when they tweeted it. Uh, I I don't remember the name in front of me, but I was like, this looks really promising. It, like you said, Faceless Haven base, Snow, uh, still one drops pleasant present in the deck. But I could see your approach of getting bigger as well. That makes a lot of sense to me. And these Sultai decks see a Faceless Haven sometime and just kind of scoop it up. Like it's a really challenging card for them because they don't have time to like hold back their Heartless Act. They have to spend it to protect their life total. And it's one of the reasons why I'm a little hesitant to get off one drops entirely. But I, I have been so impressed with the play pattern of Faceless Haven. And this particular list just had like a ton of Oxen. So you're able to go long against decks that are challenging you that way. And there is space in this format for mono red right now i i came away the last day convinced of that a lot of my games i wasn't just winning i was winning easily so when that starts happening with mono red that's when you should really pay attention i'm pulling up my list main deck phoenix of ash yep which is had those yeah which is pretty tight a bunch of frostbites and shocks two gilded assault cards another one in the sideboard card was actually really good like, that's another thing where it's like, you know, Sultai is trying to do the Shadows Verdict stuff, and it's like, yeah. the, the cart <laughs> the cart just messes them up. Sure, that, that tracks. And you you just end up with a lot of treasures from Magda and Torbrand and stuff. And then so you had, did, your had top end, I'm assuming, just is, what, Shatter Skull Smashing and, like, the Ghostband Dragons, basically? Yeah, pretty much. I There were games where I had, like, 10 mana, and I, I, was, I was playing with Josh Show. And we're just like, is there is there something? He was like, is there like an Urza's Rage or whatever? And I was like, not that I can think <laughs> of. And uh, one of the conclusions I came to after the session, I was like kind of sitting there and it hit me. It was like, you could sideboard like Iron Crag Feet and Ugin if you wanted to. Yeah. And I, th- I think that that would be a perfectly reasonable sideboard plan. But I sent that, you my list on Discord. Yeah, I'm looking at this now. This, this all tracks. This all makes sense. I, I love the idea of that sideboard plan because there are still decks that are just super soft to that setup i think they're going to be way fewer just because a lot of the splash damage that hits uh the ultimatum decks will also hit any other big spells like counter magic should be on the up and up but still you're going to face some decks that just have real holes to ugin and you may as well punish them especially if the thought is like well there should be fewer ugins because we've decided on this emergent ultimatum end game and then maybe you'll find a hole to push through and actually get a lot of value out of your own ugins yeah, well, the thing that I was thinking about was against Gruul, for example, you have these smaller creatures that get bone crushered and you struggle a lot against Lovestruck Beast, right? So mm-hmm. what if you just are able to cut a lot of the two drops and then you, you know, you have your Frostbites, your Shocks, Bone Crusher, things like Slaying Fire, Soul Seer, and you just play like this slower, more controlling game and then just at some point you Ugin them, you know? And then you, you just kind of like morph into the the gold span dragon big red deck and yeah. that might be a better plan against them than actually trying to beat them down i like it. it it makes a lot of sense and i will i will do some work with my own red deck to to try that out uh in the next few days before i start my deep dive into call time sealed i got screwed on arena also because of faceless haven magda how did how did you get screwed it's the same thing with jasper sentinel man if, if you don't have anything oh, to it just do, skips it yeah yeah Man, yeah, there's there's just no way around it either, right? Like you just get caught by it over and over. 
Yeah, but th there were just so many games where since I have like a lot of one mana removal, it was pretty easy to just Magda, ride that, get a bunch of treasures. Maybe you start crewing with the cart or like attacking with Haven, then post-combat you just tap it to get a treasure and you just untap with like eight mana on some turns, you know? Did you, uh, maybe I'm just dumb, but uh, did you have the moment where the first time you activate your Faceless Haven with the Magda in play and you're like, why is my Faceless Haven so big? Uh, no, so I got that, but I forgot about the treasure. Like, okay. I, I didn't like miss a treasure, but I was like, oh wait, I can do this too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's cool. Uh, it's it's a cool interaction the first time you see it. Maybe it'll catch you by surprise. But of course, I'm talking about Faceless Haven being a dwarf for Magda because it's a changeling. So uh, you get a little extra Magda bonus there for yourself. Yeah, it's weird. When Magda got previewed, we're like, okay, well, like, what's the one drop dwarf, right? Like, what's the thing that's going to go with this? And it's like, well, Torbran is a dwarf. You have Faceless Haven. You can play the cart if you want to actually crew things. And it's enough. Like, I just... I guess Goldspan Dragon helps too, but it was just like, yeah. okay, yeah, I'm I'm getting a decent amount of treasures. I guess I was I was like spending them to cast spells and kill my opponent. I was never really in a position where I was like, oh, maybe I should save to get to five. Uh I don't I don't think that there's like a busted artifact or dragon that I could play that's like not embarrassing on its face, but I don't think so. That has a I mean, I'll be honest, it's not something I've really focused my Magda efforts on because have you ever activated your Magda? I have once. I did it one time. I went and got a Goldspan Dragon. I've I've done it a bunch in other decks that were like, a, that was actually trying to do it. Like Jasper yeah. Sentinel style stuff. Yep. Yeah, but, yeah. but this, I, I this one, yeah, this one I was like, uh, I'll, I just didn't even think about it when I was building the deck. And then I'm thinking about it now and I would untap with a bunch of mana, but then I would find ways to spend that mana. But I'm sure that there were ways where I could have just been like, well, I'm going to chill for a couple turns to get this double strike dragon or whatever the stupid seven drop is. And it's like, I don't even really want to put that in my deck. So it's probably fine. no, I, th I think the cost of drawing that would be too painful. So I, I agree. Just just take the gold span dragons. That'll that'll be enough in most instances. If you're compiling treasures that well, you're probably doing something right. So, yeah, uh, this this deck was sweet. Again, don't feel like it specifically lines up really well against every single thing in the format. You definitely have gruel problems. I would expect rogues to be pretty decent because you have escape things plus a bunch of spot removal yep. and maybe like two drop crappy creature plus faceless haven and a bunch of haste stuff is like good enough against Sultai. If, if that's the case, then maybe this deck is better than I think it is. But either way, it was just something like a little bit different that I was working on that I thought was pretty good. Yeah, this this looks promising. Uh, I'll go ahead and post this over in our Discord so folks there can check it out. Maybe enjoy a few games with it. Get in their Gilded Assault cart reps that everyone's been waiting for. Dude, the cart is nice. Do not see I, the I cart. believe it. It makes perfect sense here. All right, good. I'm glad. If, if there's one thing that comes from this cast, I want people to be playing more Gilded Assault carts. Uh, <laughs> That's I was, what you want your legacy to be? Just yeah, be well, for, for this week. Gilded Assault cart. For this week, at least, I was I was a little sad at first because I was like, "Oh, I really want to play this card," and I thought it was a rare, and then it was an uncommon. I was like, "Oh yeah, we're definitely doing mm, it." There you go. Game. Good luck.